Welcome to episode 322 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's your last chance to get early access and bonus content because my third book, Break Out of Boredom, Low Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events officially launches on March 13th. I'm a virtual event design consultant and executive Zoom producer. This book is a culmination of what I've learned supporting organizations over the last three years. If virtual programming is part of your business model, you cannot afford to use skills and settings stuck in 2020. I wrote this book to help you create transformative, inclusive, and engaging online experiences. I share how to use the latest features and online facilitation techniques to structure your events so everyone feels welcomed instead of merely invited. Join the book launch team at robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch to receive early access and help me get Amazon reviews. Thank you in advance. You can sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. Now onto this week's interview. Today's guest dreams of a world where email marketing is fun and everybody wins. She teaches email marketing skills to online businesses, digital course creators, and freelance service providers. She came up in her career writing copy for popular programs in the online marketing space and very soon created her own programs, teaching business owners how to write story-powered emails and sell using the principles of persuasion. For the last three years, she has been slowly dismantling her seven-figure boss babe empire and unlearning the systems of influence and indoctrination that were taught to her as a new business owner. She's keenly aware of how the use of Cialdini's principles of persuasion can cause harm, especially in the coaching industry. She's now dedicated her work to undoing that harm and teaching sales strategies that leave space for conversation and critical thinking. Please join me in welcoming Tarzan Kay. Hey, Robbie. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us. You're over there in Ontario. Thrilled that you can join us by the power of the internet. Uh, As you know, this is a show about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I think I want to start by saying, telling you about the moment when I realized I did not have the skills to lead. So when I came into the online business world, there's just a lot of talk about like imposter syndrome and everybody has something to teach. And in the programs I took, it was sort of like leadership wasn't really discussed very much or what it means to be a leader. Like I didn't really even think about it much until I was in my like second or third year in business, probably third year. And I was running a mastermind that people had paid $10,000 to be a part of. And I just would dread going to those calls and I couldn't really figure out why. And I heard myself in a particular call, someone had asked me like a totally reasonable question about her business. And I gave her an answer that basically just blamed her for the problem being her and saying that she had like limiting beliefs about herself or something like that. And 
the we were a group of like about 12 people and I said it and there was just like silence and I was like oh my god what the sh- what did I just do and um I had to like check myself and I didn't really realize what was going on at the time it took me a while to figure out that I just really didn't have the capacity to be leading those people for one thing I didn't have a lot of experience which I think is just seems obvious but we forget that that is a really important thing when you are in leadership to have experience with the thing that people are trying to learn. And I didn't have a lot of business experience. I had kind of built my business on like charisma and like flashy clothes and like talking about making tons of money, which a lot of people do in that space. Um, and so I had to actually step back and figure out like how to be a leader And that definitely involved having a lot of really uncomfortable conversations. I had to figure out um, what it might look like to have an inclusive business, which I never had like thought beyond my own like thin, nice looking, white, skinny self. Like I have a lot of dominant identities. And I think when you hold a lot of dominant identities, people... Um, like it's easier to convince people that you deserve to be in leadership. Also, those identities come with a lot of privilege. So we, like, I thought that I had a right to be standing at the front of the room, like teaching all of these people and asking them to pay me $10,000. So, um, you know, a big, I think a really big part of leadership for any leader is to really be able to look at like, how can I earn this role? How can I earn my place at the front of the room every single day? And do I actually deserve to be here? Because in a lot of conversations, like I don't, I haven't earned that. But in online business, there's like intense pressure to like, just say that you're a coach or you're a professional at something or like something we hear often is like, you just have to be five steps ahead or maybe even one step ahead. And as long as you're one step ahead, like then you just teach those people what you need to know at that stage. And what's that, there may be some truth to that, but what's missing is when you're only one step ahead, there's a, like, unless you learned it somewhere else, you probably don't have a lot of leadership ability. So um, I guess another part of leadership is like really being to being able to acknowledge what you don't know and be constantly filling those gaps and making sure that like you're really doing everything that you need to be doing to earn, endeavor to earn and deserve your place in that leadership role. I hear so much in this around having experience, being being a, a person of substance, not just flashiness and like, you know, smoke and mirror, um, but you really know a thing. So like having experience, having substance, um, knowing like what you don't know, being humble enough to admit what you don't know. Um, and that the fake it till you make it has some drawbacks as much as I think there is a way in which that is, you know, we have to move past our own limiting beliefs, but if our own limiting beliefs um, if the effort to do that leads us just like BSing everyone, <laughs> um, we also aren't believing that. Like that's not a limiting belief anymore. That's now just like a blatant falsehood <laughs> of our ability. And when people then give us money, there's the disconnect. It's not congruent, right? Like you were, you had one hundred and twenty thousand dollars worth of investment in what you knew, 
but you didn't feel like you earned that. And so that was having, you were having a hard time holding this space. It's like, a, it's a very like apt moment to describe sort of what leadership can be. I'm really curious when you like roll the clock back, I always wanted to ask my guests, you know, about who they were as a kid, you know, in the playground, um, growing up, you know, did you organize people? Were you the kind of quiet one in the back of the room? Did teachers notice that you had potential in one area or another? Any mentors to mention, you know, kind of what was life like for Tarzan as a kid? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I was sort of the person who got along with everyone, but wasn't really best friends with anyone. I was always like, I think I was really smart, or maybe I was told that I was really smart. But I definitely had a lot of teachers like who, you know, told me that I was special that like one teacher when I was in like, I have this assignment from like grade one or two. And it's a story that I wrote. And I found it a couple years ago. I was like digging through my memorabilia. And I saw on the back, my teacher, Mrs. Wiley, had written on the story, well done, Tarzan, you have a gift for writing. And I thought like, wow, that's incredible. I probably did. I mean, I read a lot. Like I just, I'm, I am still someone who just prefers to be like, in the bathtub with a book, in my bed with an audiobook. Um, so I read a lot as a child, and I think for that reason I was a pretty good writer. Um, so, but also someone told me that at a really young age. And I like that's definitely a theme. Like I can name a number of teachers throughout my childhood that I feel like earmarked me as special, gave me like some sort of preferential treatment. For what I don't even know, maybe because I have talent, but also maybe because I was just like easy to get along with and followed instructions really well. But no one's ever asked me that. But I definitely can see why those experiences definitely set me up for like, you know, a, some business leader to sell me their program and say, like, you could be the leader at the front of the room, even though you don't have experience. Yeah, because you already had experience believing in yourself at, a, at an age when there wasn't enough experience in that. Like you were like, you, you were sort of full of potential. You were being told you have a lot of potential at a very young age. And, um, you know, then the then it's about like living up to that potential and earning that um, going forward. Uh, did you have a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up, you know, like 12 years old? Like what's what's the big dream? Oh, no, I definitely wanted to be a writer. Like I knew that forever. And I mean, I knew that I guess I thought that when I was a kid. And it wasn't until like, you know, maybe five, six years ago, I was like, Oh, my God, here it is. I am a writer like that. Like, it, you know, in my business, I teach people how to write marketing emails and copywriting. But actually, like that business is supported. And one of the one of the big reasons why it's successful is my writing. Like my emails are what create the connection with my audience. And like, that's why they buy from me. They buy from me because I have a skill that they want, but you know, they could learn it from a lot of different people. They come to me on the strength of my writing. And I feel really lucky for that. I think there aren't too many people that, you know, knew it from the time they were five years old. And here I am doing it. Yeah, it's funny. When I was in seventh grade, I took some sort of like career placement test. And um, I learned about computer systems analysts. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't today to describe to you what this was, but I decided that was what I wanted to be because it was in computers, which I liked. I was really 
pretty adept at computers that age, but it involved working with people. And I knew that I wouldn't be happy just programming all day. And I didn't know enough to know that there were more options than those two things. And today, 90% of my business is producing virtual events and doing strategy and helping people with the technology around Zoom, which is very much, you know, computers. <laughs> and yet it's all about working with people. So it is funny how, you know, sometimes you have to look through the prism to squint a little bit and be like, oh, yeah, the thing I've always wanted is, is what I'm doing today. But you got the extra boost at a young age of being told you were good at something, which made you then want to do more of it. And then you did get good at it. Like, it, that's a legitimate skill that you've acquired. How do you turn that into a plan though early on? Like, is, is there college involved in that? Or is it just like going out and, and building a business? Like, what's those first steps? <laughs> well, first I went to music school. <laughs> and oh, a little sidetrack moment school, there. Okay. <laughs> a little sidetrack, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually, so I went to music school and... Funny, like, I, I don't think I really did that much writing. Like, I used to write letters to my brother, and I really enjoyed that. And, but I, I wasn't, like, trying to write books. I wasn't, like, doing much. But, you know, when you go to, when you spend seven years in university, you write a lot of papers and, you know, have, get some experience. So I went to music school, and then I decided that that wasn't, I decided, actually, what I decided was that I wasn't talented enough when I was in my like small town in Niagara, everybody thought I was like the greatest singer and I could like play a bit of guitar. I'm like, I'm okay at piano. Um, but when I got to university, I was like, oh, I am the worst here. Like everybody is better than me. And I, I just, I think what I actually figured out was that I didn't want it badly enough. Like I saw all these people that were really passionate. They were putting in the hours and I just was like, I don't think this is for me. So then I did a complete 180 and went to law school. And um, I did that for three years. And that was really hard. Like I chose to go to a French university in Quebec, like a French language university. And so not only was it I, like I actually had an experience for the first time in my life of being um like not in the dominant culture, like not a member of the dominant culture of that school. And that was a really interesting experience. It was very isolating. It was very lonely. And I also realized like, oh, these people that I'm going to school with, like this is going to be my world. And I don't really like these people. Like I didn't dislike them, but I just had a strong feeling that like we didn't share the same values. And so after three years, I should have been done because it only takes three years to get a law degree in Canada. But I had a few more classes that I still had to take. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a semester off. And I went to Australia and I started writing and I kept writing and I didn't go back to school. Um, and when I was in Australia, I started uh, doing some copywriting, like just as a side hustle. But I mean, it was my only hustle, like I, <laughs> the hustle I needed to pay my meager bills and travel around. Uh, so I started copywriting and then I was working on this book and I came, then I came back to Canada and kept writing, released the book, which is a memoir. Um, it's very old. It doesn't feel like, I don't feel like it represents me anymore, but anyway, there it is. I wrote a book. And then I built this career that lets me be a writer and um, also have a good income. 
some interesting lessons in this. I mean, you're following your passion along the way. You know, people telling you you're 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 good at something, but of course, good on a small town scale. So then learning, it's quite different. Yeah, when you're with the, the top class, top of the class people from all over. And I think what you said earlier about wanting, like if you really wanted it and hustled hard and like did the work, put the practice hours in, that might have been different. But it kind of helps you realize you know, you're not really. But then the idea of going to a school where you're in a minority. A, not just a minority, but a language minority. So it's like communication is like the core cornerstone of connection. So if like you don't feel that's at ease, that's going to make it even more difficult. But then it's beyond even that. Like they're not your people. Like values wise, you realize that. Um, what what led you to decide to go to Australia? Was that just like a like take a break and see the world? Or yeah. Was there something there? My sister was there, and she was married to an Aussie. And she was kind of lonely. He worked on, he was a ship captain. So he was away for many months at a time. And um, he had just left on like a three month um, trip. And I was about to go, you know, would have been back in school. And I was like, I'll just go visit my sister for like a couple of months. And I sublet my apartment and I, I went to see her. And then when I got there, I was like, I don't think I'm going back to school for the winter semester. <laughs> so I just stayed. Yeah. Yeah. And that perspective, right? Like you got out of the everyday. So, you know, you didn't have to keep going. I think sometimes we feel like, cause we said yes, at one point we have to like stick it all the way through knowing when to say mm, no more is probably a, a whole different level of success is knowing what not to keep doing. Um, so the writing though, picks back up in the theme then because you start copywriting did you know copywriting was a thing? Like, how did you discover that? Because like, I don't remember knowing that before I was in business, you know? No, I definitely didn't know. But I was like browsing job ads like on Gumtree, which is sort of like the Aussie Kijiji, like, a, you know, whatever you call those things, online classifieds. Mm -hmm. And it was for like a copywriter and social media person. Like, I didn't know how to do either of those things, but I was like, well, I know I can write. So I applied and this guy gave me the job, like, bless him. It was only like 10 hours a week or something. It was minimal. Um, but, and, and actually I didn't even do copywriting. I wrote social media updates and I was like the worst at it. Like I would like write blog posts about how to do social media, which I really didn't know. And then I would have to schedule, like we use the scheduler and I would have to schedule out like a week's worth of tweets and like all these LinkedIn posts and like all this everything. And like, I didn't really use any of those channels. I had never done it before. Like, honestly, I feel like it probably was like an absolute waste of money for that business owner. Like when I, I now can spot business owners wasting money on things that will not work. And I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's what, I didn't know what I was doing. You can spot that now though, because you experienced it, right? Like you understand how, how that can happen. Um, the writing uh, is interesting because now of course is what you're known for is writing these amazing emails in particular. But the fact that you have a moment of like, I don't know how to do this. And like, you know, 
scheduling through a third party scheduler, not natively, not interacting, not understanding like the platform specifics, right? Like, yeah, I, I think everybody started there, by the way. It's not just you. I think right. everybody, it's course. like everybody, like, because they're just like, ah, oh, throw something at the wall. I don't know. See what sticks. Like, yes. No nuance, yeah. no nuance. But you, um, you clearly liked it enough to do it, right? And to keep at it. And how did you get better at it? Though? Like, when did you start to realize, oh, there's actually a process here? Or there's a, I don't know whether there's like a formula. Like, how did you start to think, oh, there's something I have to come up with that's better than what's here? Yeah. Well, for one thing, I I never really did copywriting for that company, but then I started thinking about myself as a copywriter and replying, applying for other jobs. And I did get, like, I put up a profile on people per hour and someone happened to hire me and that guy had like an online, he was like a health, uh, a health and wellness influencer. And he had like a book and a blog. And so I got to I got some experience like writing different things for him. I still didn't know what I was doing. And then I this is like kind of embarrassing to it's totally embarrassing to admit. But following on our previous conversation, like fast forward a little bit, not doing much, met a guy, decided to have a baby. The baby's now 1 year old and my partner and I decided that I would be the provider. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to really go after this copywriting thing. And I would cite that as the actual beginning of my copywriting career. And that is when I started taking online courses. And I was really excited about the world of online courses. I was really excited that I could learn all of these things like in community. And I could also find clients in those communities. So the training could like it just, it always paid for itself because in those programs, people always need copywriters and I was just good at standing out and, um, yeah. cause I was a good writer. So, you know, if there was a community, like I could pick up clients just by showing up. So I took tons of courses. Tarzan, what year was it that you were initially doing the stuff with that guy, the 10 hours a week? And then what year is the, the like, okay, I have a one year old and I'm going to be the primary like provider. Good question. So the, I started my business in 2016. And so I was probably working, I was probably in Australia um, doing random stuff in like about 2014. Cause there was a year of like meeting someone and being, there was the being pregnant and the baby. Right. <laughs> so it's probably two years there. In some yeah. ways, this feels like a drop in the bucket time-wise and yet you've really established yourself. So that's, that's really cool to talk through like the, you st you know because you because your beginning of your story is where a lot of folks are which is the i don't know i'm just trying stuff whether it's their own business or like you they're being asked to help out or oh i'm kind of curious about social media suddenly they're a social media manager they're like mm, okay you know um <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll try this out but then yeah. you decide to get serious now getting in courses also means spending money um how do you make decisions early on do you feel good about the decisions you made early on about how you invested your money and your time as you started to shift into this is legitimately a thing I want to do. Yeah, definitely. I've seen so many people get really swept away in spending money on things they really don't need. And I think that's people blame themselves for that. But I also think it's really the fault of the industry that's like so hypey and is deliberately removing people's ability to think critically in a very strategic way. 
Um, so, but for some reason, uh, like I did spend a lot of on courses, but I didn't usually buy another course. Like for, I could make my money back very quickly just by booking a client. So if I bought a program for $2,000 or $1,000, like the early programs that I, that I bought, I would just, I would like watch them all and go to all the classes and like really soak it all up. And then I would in that, like, I would also be participating, meeting people, usually booking at least one client. So for the first year, like I probably took three or four courses and I could always make my money back. And then, you know, as, as time went on, I started buying more expensive things where the ROI is like not always direct, like, you know, as in like a mastermind program or something, it's a bigger investment. And, um, however, so I did join a mastermind, which I was in for like six or seven, weirdly, it got like canceled. It was a year program. And the leader was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And canceled the program after like eight, seven months or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but that was also helpful to learn from someone who was a really successful copywriter and, you know, could answer any question also had just a lot of hard skills in that area. Um, so that was really helpful and I continue to take courses and now, and I definitely made some purchases that were like 48 hour flash sale that I was like, I'll spend a thousand dollars. And then was like, okay, I'm not looking at this. But um, something that really did save me, I think, is um, in my first year in business, I hired a virtual assistant. And that person, her name is Sandra Booker. She has been my right hand the whole time. And anytime I wanted to make, initially, I was like, you're my VA. Like, I don't consult you for like, business spending decisions but you know she it took me a little bit to figure out that like she knows a lot that I don't and she has been a business owner probably longer than I have and we developed like a really trusting relationship over the years she still works with me she's she manages my business she managed all my employees when I had them like I would not be where I am without this person she was so instrumental to my business's growth and one thing that I did start doing early on and still do is I go and talk to her before I spend money. Like I don't like, I think most many business owners, like it can be lonely and you're talking to other business owners who are trying to justify their own purchasing decisions. Like to have someone who's like really in it with you and to say like, you know, if I, I just went to her the other day, I was like, I'm thinking about investing in this like nine grid for Instagram. And she's like, okay, well, what would you like to get out of that? Like, why are you doing this? What are your goals for this? And I actually, to be honest, I had like three or four investments that I was like, I want to do this. I want to do this. And I want to do this. I think it's going to be 10,000. I think I can afford it. Like, what do you think? I never would put out more than, more than like $2,000. I mean, now my, my business is profitable. So for some people, the amount might be lower, but I have like a threshold at which if I'm going to spend money, like I'm going to talk to her about it. If I avoid talking to her about it, that's a red flag for me because I'm probably being impulsive and I probably don't want her to question me. I just want to do this impulsive thing. Um, so I'm not, actually not sure how we brought it around here, but I love, I no, definitely, I love this. I love one this. time she told me really early, this was like about three years in and I felt like I was spending a lot of money and she told me like, um, you know, Tarzan, you're quite frugal. And I was like, no. 
are you serious? Like I told my husband, I was like, Sandra says I'm frugal. Um, but I think she said that because she just observed many other business owners she worked with just like buying and buying and buying and buying more things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, business is hard. Like it, I, I get why people throw money at their problems. Like maybe if I hire Tarzan to do social media for three hours, schedule posts for three hours a day, like maybe that'll work. Like, yeah. I, first of all, shout out to, again, this, uh, to, to Sandra Booker, because, um, we all need someone like that in our life. And I'll circle back to that in a moment. But I think the, uh, the things you're saying about sort of how you sort of developed a business mindset, you know, and, and how buying the courses, knowing you could get value out of the course, but also be in connection with this community that you're really good at the community building. You take full advantage of, of the fact that people are being brought together for the course, um, which not everyone does. Like I, I always find that I'm, I often say yes to things because of the community, not so much always about the, you know, like the information's interesting and proper pertinent, but like the access I'll get from being part of that community is wonderful and people I want to know, but most people don't leverage that at all. And so, you're you're kind of making that work and slowly building up your skills that way. Um, I think that a lot of times, you know, and I'll speak from my, I'll say I, uh, an I statement here, my first year of it not being a side hustle, my first year of it being a full-time, this is my business, I spent money on programs that I was not ready for, that I bought software that I did not need. And to even like to today, I'm like, why did I do that? I think I bought like Teachable or one of those online learning management systems without I having a course that I had already sold. Like just, and I feel like in some ways there's this way of like spending money made me feel like a business owner. Being busy doing content creation makes me, you know what? You're a business owner when you sell things. You're a successful business owner when you know where the money is going to come from. <laughs> like so many people like missed that and um, didn't have a Sandra in their life to like help them. That's true. And also like holding compassion for people who do that because the messaging that we constantly see is that you have to spend money to make money. And worse than that, like the, the messaging that I often see, like it makes people feel like they're not brave if they don't spend money or like they're not really serious about their business or if they're not investing in themselves. Um, the, the messaging is like very insidious and painful. Like sometimes, like I know this happens to a lot of people. It's like you get caught up in this sales funnel and it's so persuasive. It's like, it's like a pain in my body and the way to make it go away is to like hit the button just for like relief. So I could prove to myself that like, I am brave. I am willing to invest. Like I believe in myself, like all these things. But then like, as soon as you hit that button, like it's like a dopamine hit. And then you have to pay a thousand dollars a month later to hit the next button. And we do need to address that like industry-wide, like that has to stop. And that has really been the core of my mission in the last two years. Cause I did all of those things. Not only did I do all those things, I taught people how to do those things. I wrote messaging like that for brands that when I look back, like were really harmful. Like I, I have this one client um, who I think back 
And I'm like, oh, shoot, like that client was abusive. And I wrote in her words for years. And even now I get her like survivors in my DMs that are like, I just left working for this person. Like, I don't even know what happened. Could we talk? Like there are so many, and that's just one person. Like there are so many people in the industry doing things like that. And it's really harmful. Like the tour, the tools of persuasion are very powerful and they can be used. Um, like they can be weaponized. They can be very easily weaponized and we're actually not taught how to use them. We're taught how to weaponize them. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to walk it back and show people like, this is how persuasion is weaponized. And let's figure out together how you could use it in a way that feels good for you, is persuasive, is convincing, but also doesn't take away your customer's ability to think critically. Oh my, I have so much to talk to you about this. And um, I, when I first started coming across your work, it was interesting to, to realize that you had made this shift um, because copywriters as a whole is not like the people I generally am like, oh yeah, I totally want to hang out with that person because it's usually like the people who are selling and doing these tactics. And as a coach, I tell all my clients, one of the things you get from booking me is if you are thinking about buying something, product or a service, or even spending more than two hours on a free webinar, you know, you know, three-day training, whatever, like reach out to me, like text me. I don't care what time it is. I will ask you all the right questions, like, you know, your team member to remind them of their why. But I have a uh, dislike of the funnel, like even the word right now. And my, um, my, <laughs> my visual for it is Temple Grandin. Uh, Temple Grandin designed these special ways of herding cattle to slaughter that calm down their, their physical response to danger. And uh, I mean, it is a hum it's humane, right? Like, you know, why have them like, ah, but they don't want to go where they're going, but we are calming them down. We are keeping them in that. And I feel like that's what we're taught to do is like keep people in the funnel. Do they have any agency? Do they want to do? Are they saying yes to anything? Or is it just like we are we're emotionally pushing them down something? So I'm much more of a like invite them to continue like flip it into more of a climb the mountain with me, like here's the next option, that kind of thing. So my second book is actually called Small List, Big Results, Launch a Successful Offer, no matter the size of your email list. And it's all about engaging people who already know you, already like you, testing things out, running pilots, doing research calls, and not, you know, building sales pages that make people feel bad about themselves, which is, you know, definitely a thing. That is a really like that analogy with Temple Grandin and that hurting that really, I feel that in my body. That's like really powerful. So thank you. And I also just want to circle back to what you said about like as a service, offering that to the people who work with you. Like that is so valuable. I have this incredible coach I've been working with. Um, her name's Sonia Simone. She's one of the co-founders of copy blogger. And like that coaching package that I bought for her has paid for itself so many times over 
just by me saying like, Sonia, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? Don't do that. Like, I'm thinking about this. Like, what do you, don't do that. Like <laughs> one time I got on a call with her and I had all these ideas and I had mentally spent like maybe $12,000 and I got on the call and was like, oh, I don't, I don't need to do any of that. Like that sober second thought, like, especially from someone who has experience, like, I love that you offer that. I think I want to like say that to my students as well. I think uh, it's the the desperation that a business owner has that I think puts them in the position of wanting to sell this way as well. Like when you feel like you don't know where money is coming from and you're really feeling anxious. And I, I was very fortunate that as I was building my business from a side hustle to this is what I do full time, I as I made that shift and I left my day job, my um, wife and I were living on a college campus she was a director of residence life. We had an apartment in the res hall. And I said to her, you know, how oh, all these people are asking if I want to do X, but I don't want to do that anymore. Like it was event planning or fundraising. It was like the things I had been known for, but I didn't want to be doing. And she said, like, yeah, that makes sense. I talked to her three times that night. I kept bringing it up. And finally she said, are you asking permission to not make money? And I said, yes. And she said, I mean, I love you, but I don't need you to make money. Like, I just love you. And I was like, huh, I get to like take some breaths. And so I didn't chase. And then we had one kid and then we had a second kid and, you know, sort of like one starving child. No one notices, but two people start to talk a little bit. And I was like, oh, I better get more. And, you know, it's so like, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like I have enough. I am enough. I choose to live with abundance. It's a mantra that's on my desk. I wrote it like 12 years ago at, a, at a, like a workshop. And so every time I feel antsy, like I have to close the sale, that's about me and that's not okay. So I, I, I once in the last two years, I've had a coaching client um, say yes like, on the first call and it just happened, but she had done all her due diligence beforehand. So like every time I was like, but what about this? She's like, yep, already considered that, already know this, already cleared my, my schedule. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I was like, well, then I'm not gonna stop you. Let's just do this. But every other time I'm always like, here's homework to do for the next month and then come back to me, you know, get rid of 20% of your client hours, however you can, like reduce your client load or hire somebody, but you don't have time to do anything new. And they're like, oh yeah. I'm like, don't hire anyone else for the next month either. Like you just, you're just not there until you're there. But I feel much better about the yeses I get. Yeah. I, I have a story, a similar story or a related story. Um, so Earlier or last fall, I let go all of my employees and kept only Sandra, who's not an employee. Um, so I let go. It was which was a really hard decision, and I've talked about it on other podcasts. Um, so I won't tell the story here. But um, you know, I was in a meeting with Sandra, and we were talking about like how we were going to come up with the next month's revenue. And the month after that, like what we're going to do for our next promotion. And we really couldn't afford to sell something inexpensive. And we decided, okay, like, let's run a mastermind program. Like I haven't done it in a number of years. Like I'm going to do it. Uh, and you know, it'll be like eight to $10,000 and this, 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 and whatever. And that conversation actually was what led me to realize that I could not continue running my business in the same way. Because I knew 
like a, I could not be in leadership with those people the way that they would need me to be in leadership at that price um, and at that stage in their business. And B, like selling something like this is hard from a because like as business owners, like we have to make money. But when you approach a like when you design an offer or sell something at a certain price or in a certain way because you need the money so badly, like it's really easy to compromise your values. And I think there are practical ways that we can address that. Like, I mean, I could afford to just not do that. So, um, but I obviously had to make significant changes in my business. But like for, you know, people who are, for example, trying to sell digital products, like, can you just keep your service-based business going while you build this other thing instead of like charging a very high price for something that you don't like you're you haven't properly scaled um you know because you don't have this income anymore like and i think that it's also about um just like growing something slowly like we're so tuned in to like things being fast and when you when you're building something fast, like things break all the time. Like it's not a great experience for you or your customers. And just going slow, I think, provides more safety for yourself and for your potential customers and could like possibly eliminate that, putting you in that position where you are just like so attached to the sale that you do things that you really shouldn't do. Mm, and that, that even when you get the yes, it won't feel great. Like, yeah. I remember the first time I got paid to speak, I had been speaking pro bono, which by then at that point, I probably wasn't using the word pro bono. <laughs> I was speaking for free for like a couple of years. And then someone offered to pay me in 2009 and I got $200. And I, I, in the invoice, I said it was 400 with a 50% referral discount. And then I spent a year saying it was $400 to, to speak, but I took everything down to a handshake. And then a year in, someone said, oh, yeah, $400, okay. And I was like, ooh, I left money behind. Okay, next, I'm going to say 600 And then, like, another year went by. And slowly, over the years, like, I asked for more money. But you know what also happened? I got a lot better. Because <laughs> I was doing, I had lots of opportunities to get on stages. And so, like, the quality of my content, my presentation, my performance, like, my delivery, the value of what people got increased commensurate. You know, and at some point I mentally got stuck, right? Because I was like, thousand oh, dollars, that's it, you know, done. And then you're like, Oh, what what would it take for me to feel comfortable? So what does it look like to deliver a five thousand dollar talk? You know, how do you what what do you need to feel like is the value of that? So I I think what you're saying is is so true in my belief. It's like what I've lived. It's like you you test things out, you pilot things, you get the feedback, you build, you build, you build. But I think sometimes we are pushed. And our buttons are pushed to go beyond that. I do want to circle back as we have a few minutes left, Tarzan, because you were talking about meeting um, Sandra Booker. And I just imagine that your network as a whole has been part of this, both the journey to where you were successful writing copy for other people. And then as you develop this new sort of philosophy of it, how do you, I mean, you've got the inner circle of people that you stay in touch with. Um, but then what about the second and third tiers or layers out, the people you see once a year at a conference, or you work with them five years ago, but you really haven't had a reason to since. You like each other, I should have prefaced that. You enjoy each other's company. Uh, how do you think about staying in touch with those folks? Any habits, philosophies, practices? Mm, what a great question. Yeah, I don't have this systematized. And I think if you do, it can often just like doesn't work like that. I have to want to reach out to them. 
Um, but yeah, I actually do have some people like that sort of second and third ring of my network that I really love and really feel connected to. And they all have different ways. Like, you know, I meet them on that. We, we have different systems. Like I have this um, person I met at a Jeff Walker conference who lives in South Africa and we are on Voxer. She's like the only person that I chat with on Voxer. Like I keep in touch with those people in ways that are sim- that are really easy, that don't require scheduling. Um, I really love voice notes for keeping up with people. So, and I have some like subscribers and survivors in my, that are on my email list that I had got on calls with and then keep up with a relationship like on WhatsApp or um, some, I use lots of different tools. I have one, there's one person in my network and she's a master of networking. Her name's Laura Sprinkle. She runs like affiliate programs and um, she has, I'm just going to pass this on from her because I love that she does this. She um, hosts these events and they're just like a Zoom like conference call, I guess. And she'll invite like 14 or 15 people to come to this thing. And it's just like to hang out and catch up. And it's, there's always like four or five familiar faces. Like she knows people who know each other. And, you know, she probably reaches out to like 60 people to get these 15 people. Um, But those calls are always like wonderful. I love them. I love going to them. So for me, like even just saying yes to things like that is really important. And, uh, but you know, for those who have the compulsion to actually organize something like that, like that is so high value. Like I appreciate Sprinkle so much for that. That's such a great tip because I also think that people who maybe aren't as comfortable networking in person, um, could find real value in bringing people together online. I, I, um, I think like Dory Clark, who went from Boston where I met her to New York City, she's an introvert. She built up her network by hosting two dinner parties a month, right? Because that was for her just a better plan than trying to go out to 16 things a week. And now virtually that's possible. Like I hosted my first virtual happy hour, March 13th, 2020. And I had no idea that it was going to launch a new thriving business and, um, you know, change how I live my life and so many other people. But I've been hosting this thing weekly ever since. And the community that comes together, I agree. It's like, that's like a great way to kind of keep bringing people in and hosting great gatherings. Um, do you, do you have a list of people? Do you, you know, have a list of like here's no. 25 people I want to stay in touch with or a CRM or is it Not just like, all. as you think of them, you react? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I only have so much space and like, I'm only really interested in connecting with people that I are, are like really live in my heart. And if you live in my heart, like I'm probably not going to forget about you. So I do, I, I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like I have things very systematized in my business. Like my systems hold me, um, when I can't hold myself. So I appreciate systems, but I don't seem to need them with people in that way. So let's say it's a year from now and you and I are catching up and I'm pointing out that it's been a year since this conversation. And I'm asking you about all of your successes from the previous year. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Yeah, I think what I really hope that I'm celebrating is, um, like running my business from a place of like safety within my body and um, safety for my potential customers and my students and clients. Like I have been 
Like this thing grew so fast. Like I've been in business for seven years. Like I've made millions. I've had like thousands of customers, like, and not with a lot of team support. Like that was a lot. That was really fast. I've kind of like lived on my, on adrenaline and become a bit addicted to adrenaline. And now at this stage, like I really just want to like be like, just feel calm and like have, I don't want a year of like huge things happening, huge launches. I want to be celebrating that I did things my own way. I did things that weren't scalable. Like I supported my customers, like with my time, with my heart and that I didn't do anything that I like, I mean, of course we're going to make mistakes, but that I didn't compromise my values in order to make what I need to make to support myself and my family. That is, that is definitely worth celebrating. And I think your story is a cautionary one for people who are maybe still climbing that ladder of what they think of as success, discover it's a ladder leaning on the wrong wall. It's not what they want in the end. Um, I'm glad you're able to climb down that ladder and build something new for yourself. I would love to know how people can find you and follow your work. Okay, so I'm currently working on a new website, but please feel free to visit my old website, tarzank.com. But what I really would love, I, I'm, I'm, it doesn't look like I'm on Instagram, but I, I do lo- open it and check my DMs. So that's a way to actually talk to me. Um, and these are all problems that I'm in the midst of solving, but there they are. But the best, best, best way is to get on my email list. I'm really proud of what I'm doing there. I share a lot about my life and about business. Like I've brought my subscribers on this journey with me. I have many subscribers who've been with me for like multiple years because my emails are very open. They're interesting. They're fun. They're very vulnerable. You can hit reply and talk to me. And like, especially for people who have resistance around doing email marketing and they feel like it's like annoying or like people might get mad at them and you want to see email marketing done in a way that like, could be supportive for both you and your customers. Um, if you go to tarzank.com slash email, that's where to join. Or tarzank.com slash join. Both of those will work. They'll leave Fantastic. you somewhere to my email list. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put all those links in the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really great conversation. Thanks, Robbie. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tarzan. What is your key takeaway? something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 322. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional who achieved success in their field or industry. I'll ask them probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. 
That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.